0: Okay, now we're going to continue on with where we started last two weeks ago. And the question was, whose stuff is it? And we're talking about the material stuff that we own, the material stuff that we possess, the stuff that we live in, the, the stuff that we drive, the stuff that we wear, the stuff that we earn. It's all about the stuff. Whose stuff is it really? I mean, in our world, of course, we think it's... The society in which we live thinks it's our stuff. And the more stuff you've got, the better you are, the more status you've got. Uh, they, they think about it. They dream about it. They sell it. The whole of our society is bent on commercialism and, and, and consumerism and, and selling you more more products. And, and if, you, if you watch the TV, I, I did a bit of TV watching when I was in New Zealand because um, I don't have a TV at home, so I can't watch it at home. So we were in the, last night in New Zealand. We, we, we got a room because we had to drop the, the, um, the van off. And I turned on the New Zealand TV box, you know, just to see what New Zealand was like on the TV. And I reckon they would have had about 30 to 40 minutes of ads for every hour of TV. I couldn't believe it. It was like continuous ads, one after the other, you know. And then, you know, you have to do about nine or ten ads. Then you had a, a short segment of a program and then another nine or ten ads. And Because I, and I, I hadn't seen it for a while and I thought to myself, this is really what all society is about. It's about buying and selling and you understanding that you need to get out there and you need to buy some more because our economy is going down. And if you can just get that credit card you got there and you go and get some more stuff, you can, you can help us get some stuff together you know but the question really is whose stuff is it whose stuff is it so let's have an overview of where we've come from we started in in luke chapter 16 and we looked at the parable of the the manager who was being dishonest with the owner's goods it's a parable in luke chapter 16 the owner comes along and he looks at the 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 manager and says hey you've been fooling around with my gear you know you're not being honest so the guy goes out and he he does the books up. He he talks to all the guys who owe, owe the money and he, he gets them to change the figures so that he has friends once he gets quit once he gets fired from his job. And so the question was raised in our minds: Is this a picture of what is going to happen to us? Is this a picture of what is? Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, you think you're meant to be a manager of God's gospel and you're not being faithful with it. So, you know, he's he's shooting them. Is there a a, a big question about who really owns the stuff I have? And we, we figure out, yeah, there is a big question about ownership in the Christian's mind. Christians really don't own anything. I don't own a thing. God owns me. And if God owns me, he owns everything I have. So who is the owner of all of my stuff is God. That means if God expects me to use the stuff that he has provided me to help my brother and my, my sister and my, and my uh, fellow man, then, then he can use my resources for his work because they are his resources. Coming to grips with that is a, is a, is a problem for us if we have the sense of, no, that's my stuff. I mean, the easy way out for us is to say, well, look, I'll, here's my wage pack, and then I'll just give 10% to the church. That's his, and the 90% is mine. But if God says, the whole lot is mine, you've got a problem. And that's what he says. He says, all of it's mine. We don't take up an offering here, so we don't even ask for your 10%. But he says, it's all his. And how you manage that, he is interested in. Then we had a story about he goes on and tells us a story about a rich man who had heaps of wealth and a, and a poor man called Lazarus who was put at the gate of the rich man's place every day. We know that the rich man didn't even look at the, at, the, at the poor man, didn't even think about the poor man. And they both died and they went to their respective places and they could see each other in Hades where they were. And the rich man was suffering because he had comfort while he was alive. And now he's in the place where he's in torment and he's in the hot flames and he's not enjoying it very much. And he can see Lazarus over the other side and he can see that Lazarus is now being comforted. And it, it postures this question to my, what could I have done that was different to have got me out of this situation that I am now? Whose stuff really is it? It obviously wasn't my stuff. I should have been looking out for other people with the stuff. And so he's really repentant and he's, in torment and he's still in torment today that's where he is he's permanently in torment now but he says to Abraham he says send somebody to tell my brothers about this that they don't want to I don't want them to come here let them understand let them know this is not a place that you want to journey to hell is not the place where you have a party with your friends for eternity Uh, uh, uh. hell is the place where you suffer for eternity for what you haven't done in this life here when you don't accept Jesus And so we learn from that rich man and Lazarus story that there's a consequence for how you live. There's a consequence when you you live for yourself and you think that you can get for yourself and you can hoard to yourself and then you die and it's all there, it's all yours, but you're not there, you can't take it with you. There's a consequence. Then there's a passage in, in, in Luke 16 that tells us about Jesus is coming back again and it'll be like the days of Noah and it'll be like the late days of Lot because the, he, he's talking to people who are not listening to him. And he's saying, you need to wake up. They're buying and selling and they're doing all their businesses so everything is just going to continue on as it normally did. Just like in the days of Noah, they didn't believe there was a great calamity coming. Just in the day of Lot, they didn't believe there was a great calamity coming. They just went on doing their thing, kept on doing their thing. They didn't realize that this stuff was God and they didn't do anything about it. And then he said, it came on them like that, bang. And he warns us. He says, if you, if you keep your focus on the stuff that you that, and, and you think of it, he says, one man will be taken and another man will be left. He said, It'll come on you like a thief in the night. It's a, a, warning to us to change our view. Then he goes on and he tells us about a Pharisee and a tax collector because he was really speaking to the Pharisees in that whole section because the rich religious leaders of the day were high and mighty and had a lot of status and they were all very proud and they looked down their nose at anybody. And the tax collector was scum, and the Pharisee was the man at the top of the pile. And so the tax collector was sent there, and he was hiding his face, and he's so ashamed he can't even look up. He says, oh, be merciful to me. I'm just such a lowlife. I'm such a sinner. And the Pharisee stood up with his big nose in the air, saying, I am glad that I am not like this scumbag. Out of my produce, I give 10% of everything I own. You know, aren't I a good man? And Jesus looks at him and says, you see, you missed the point completely is the poor man is accepted and you are not whose stuff is it it's all God's. and what that should build in us is a repentant and broken spirit that says God you just use me you take whatever you can and you do whatever you like then we get in in verse 22 we're told about a rich man and a ruler so this is as we're going through the Bible we're doing the reading program you're going through the Bible you're encountering these stories And so now I'm talking about these stories with you so that we can build this idea, this theme that's coming through about money, whose wealth is it, whose stuff is it. Jesus is very explicit about whose stuff it is. Ownership is an incredible thing. We think that we have to own a house, own a car, own these things before we have some sort of status because all everybody else has got ownership. But listen, even if you own the the cattle on a thousand hills, it still doesn't belong to you. It all belongs to God. And so there's a rich young man, and he's coming, and he's a wealthy young man, and he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, uh, Good master, what must I do to have eternal life? He's having a problem, you know. I got everything, I have everything. And when you get everything and you have everything, guess what? It becomes very empty. You're looking to get something more, you know. Once you've got enough money to do whatever you like to do in life and you've got more and you think, what's the meaning of life? I mean, if it's obviously not money, I've got all the money I've got now. There's something lacking in my life. I haven't got life. I need eternal life. Jesus, good master, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. You're recognizing I'm God? because he didn't recognize he was God. So he said... How do you read it? He says, I've, I've done all the laws, he says. And he, 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 Jesus quotes off these laws and says, you know, he says, I've done all these from my youth. He, he left out one. He, there was one, he said, that didn't say, thou shalt not covet. He didn't actually add that one in. And when he heard, he became, very, uh, and Jesus said, you know, heard and said, you, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So he confronted this man's sense of ownership. He said to this guy, you, m- money's not doing it for you. You've got everything you want now. You've got everything that you could possibly think you could have. There's nothing left that you can want in life. You want eternal life. Sell it all now. Give it all away. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. He had a major problem. The Bible tells us when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a very wealth, He was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, "How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." Why? Because he couldn't answer the big question: whose stuff is it? He couldn't answer it. He said, "The stuff is mine. I, I can't give it away. I'm very sad. If I have to give it away, I won't have it. You know, I've taken all my life. I'm just a young man. I've got it all now. I don't want to give it all away. It's mine. It's mine." And Jesus says, "Give it all away, and you'll have eternal life." Then he makes this statement. He says, Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is uh, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of people have said, Oh, what a lot of rubbish. You know, a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. The eye of the needle was a small, uh, small gate in the side of a wall. When they shut the city gates and nobody else could trade and come in and a camel came and it was loaded up with goods and it wanted to come inside. Before it could go inside, the city, they wouldn't open up the gates the big gates, it had to go through the eye of the needle, which is a small man-sized gate at the side, which meant the camel had to be unloaded of all of its stuff. It had to get down on its force and it had to walk its way through the gate like that on its haunches. They had to get it through on its haunches and then they could carry the goods in because it's the only way it would come in because they wouldn't open the gates. It was called the eye of the needle. So Jesus wasn't saying camel going through the eye of the needle. He was saying you have to divest yourself of all your stuff if you want to give him to life. So right through this passage, Jesus is confronting this whole big question. This is their last sermon on the big question of whose stuff is it? So we go to the next chapter. Now we're at chapter 19. And the first thing he starts, again, Luke starts it. He says, let me tell you about a man called Zacchaeus. And it's like the opposite story to the rich young man. The rich young man came to Jesus and asked, I want to have eternal life. And he couldn't divest himself of the stuff. He just had to keep his stuff. And of course, he went away. Jesus says in another place, Jesus loved him, but he went away sad. He was given a call to be one of the disciples. He could have been one of the disciples. Jesus says, come and follow me. Like he said to James, come and follow me. Like he said to John, come and follow me. He could have been one of the disciples, but he turned it away because of the stuff. His stuff stopped him from moving into God. And so... Luke wants to tell us another story about stuff. So Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is there. I'll tell you the story. You don't have to read it. He's going to a place called Jericho. Zacchaeus is the tax collector. tax collectors are scumbags. As far as the Jews and the Israelites are concerned, they were the men who used to collect the taxes for the Romans. So they were hated by the Jews and by the Israelites. They were hated because they collected the taxes plus some. And so they always thought that the tax collector was out making money for himself off their own back and they hated them. They were the lowest of low. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have anything to do with a, the tax collector. You wouldn't have anything to do with that sort of a man because that sort of man was ripping you off blind. He was, he was stealing money off you. And anyway, so everybody hated the tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, that, they heard about Jesus. Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. And Zacchaeus was a small man. So when it comes to the crowd, he couldn't see over the top of their heads. He was small in stature. And he heard that Jesus was coming to, to Jericho, so he decided to climb a sycamore tree. He climbed up a tree and sat in the branches. As Jesus said, i got this worked out. I'll sit in the tree as Jesus comes past so I can see this man that everybody's talking about. Zacchaeus sits up in the tree. and Jesus comes along. Jesus comes to the tree where Zacchaeus is sitting and you think that maybe, well, he just walked by. There's a small man sitting in the tree, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. They all sit in the tree. They sit on walls. They sit on the trees. They sit... They look at me from everywhere. Jesus didn't do that. It's amazing how Jesus actually responds to people. Blind Bartimaeus yelling out in the crowd. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, blind Bartimaeus. Don't disturb it. Jesus stops for the man. How else is he going to get help? come here blind Bartimaeus, what is it that you want? An amazing story. Can't you see Jesus? Yeah, but I want him to tell me what he wants. He has to recognize his condition and then he has to speak what he wants to me. It's like you and me, you know, when we come to Jesus, do you recognize your condition? And are you willing to say to Jesus, right, Jesus, you know, I want this in my life. I want to see. A lot of us don't even get to that point. You know, we don't even recognize that we have a need. We don't even recognize that we have a problem. We just sort of coast along and that Jesus has to hit us with a sledgehammer or something to try and stop us. We don't look at ourselves and see that we are really pitifully blind or we are really short or we are really lacking in something and, 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 and confront ourselves. We don't do it. We just carry on. And Jesus has to step down and somehow grab us and shake us before we'll actually stop what we're doing how many times has Jesus hit you with a piece of four but two to get your attention because you won't go to him and talk to him about that so Zacchaeus is up in the tree and Jesus comes past and he looks at him and he says to him Zacchaeus come down immediately that must have been a Thing, you know, the crowd's bustling around him, and they're all talking, and he stopped and he's looking up the tree and he goes, What's he looking at? And I look up, and here's this tax collector sitting in the tree, like a fairy on the top of a Christmas tree, sitting up there. Ah, oh, Zaggius, what are you doing up there? Low life. They don't like him. And Jesus says, Come down immediately. He says, Today I must come and stay at your place. Whoa, what a winner! Jesus was going to come and stay at the, the tax collector's place. That scumbag is going to have Jesus come and sit at his table. How, how fair is that? Not. We are so really peeved. I mean, he could have gone to any respectable place, but he's gone to this low life. No one would go to Zacchaeus's place. No one would have anything to do with Zacchaeus, that little man who rips us all off, who cheats us with all our money. He's taking our stuff away. We hate him. We hate him so much. Jesus hangs out with the people who are hated, you know. Jesus mixes with the people who you don't like. Jesus is near to the brokenhearted and near to the ones who are smashed in spirit. He is near to the ones who don't think very big things of themselves. He is near to those who have a sense of brokenness because it's the poor in spirit that find God. And Zacchaeus is poor in spirit And Jesus sees the man and he neglects everybody else there and says, Zacchaeus, I've got to be at your place tonight. Come on down. And the crowd looks and they say, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. How can this righteous man sit down and eat with a low life like Zacchaeus? And they detested him. And Zacchaeus, after they had had a meal there, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, Lord, here I now give half of my possessions to the poor. Jesus has not said to them, give up your money, and it's God's stuff, use it for the kingdom. But he's come to that. His encounter with Jesus has made him recognize that all the money that he has is not worth it. His encounter with Jesus has come to recognize that the stuff that he has is really useful for God. So I'm going to give half of all of my stuff to everybody who needs it. And if I've cheated anybody, he says, I'm going to give them four times as much back. Why? Jesus didn't have to say to him, give up all that you have and come and follow me. But his encounter with him showed him that the stuff that he had wasn't his anyway. It was God's and he was willing to let it go. And Jesus said, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham and it means the man of faith. For the son of man came to seek and to save them which are lost. Turn to your neighbor and ask the question, are you lost? I think I want to be lost because if I'm lost, I can be found. But if I think I know where I'm going and I'm going in the wrong direction, I'm dead, dreadfully lost then, aren't I? You think, well, okay, you had enough talking about the money. Jesus, I think I'm getting the point. We're reading through the WordWise program and every, every second story is about whose stuff is it? Whose stuff is it? And then he comes to verse 12. And this, I'm going to close on this. He tells them a story. Now, this story appears in Matthew as well a little bit different than Matthew So said, while they were they were listening to this so this is all happening in the house of Zacchaeus Zacchaeus has just made the statement that I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor and then I you know if you know if I've cheated anybody I got to give him four times as much and while they're listening there Jesus stands up and he begins to tell him a story great Jesus is a great storyteller you notice that you want to listen to Jesus' stories and think deeply about Jesus' stories because you can find truth in the, in the stories of Jesus and that truth will set you free so let me tell you a parable he said there was a, a man of noble worth went to a dis, distant country to, to have himself appointed king and then to return so he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. now a minus was Um, a lot of money, not a lot of money, but a reasonable amount of money. I can't tell you exactly how much, but it was enough for them to do business with. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. I like what the King James says. It says, occupy till I come. I like that. It tells us to occupy till he comes. Now, it's a picture of Jesus, and it's a picture of Jesus going away after his death. He's going away to be Inaugurated as a king, and he's going to come back at the second coming and he's going to examine his servants. And when he's going away, he's going to give them gifts. So it really is quite applicable to us today because we're in this time where Jesus is away and he's going to come back. He's not come back yet, but he's on his way back. He's closer to coming back than he is before. So at this time, when he presents this, it's just before his death, just before his resurrection. And when he goes away, he's The the noble man's on his journey to be crowned king and when he comes back, he's going to make judgments. So this is the story he tells, explaining what is really happening. He says, I want you to occupy until I come back again. Busy yourself with trade. Do business with, go to the bank and do something with what I've given you. Now, that's interesting because you didn't have it before he gave it to you. And then when he gave it to you, he said, now use it and do business with it. Occupy until I come. I heard a black man preach that. He said it real good. Occupy. He kept on saying, occupy. I like that. It stuck with me. I like that. Hey, we know. (laughs) We need to do business with God, what God has given us because it's his stuff. Now we read on and he says, but his subjects, some of his subjects hated him and, and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. And he was talking about the Pharisees at that time and anybody else who really decided that they don't want to follow Jesus. Jesus becomes offensive to people. Did you know that? Jesus becomes very offensive to people, especially when he starts saying the stuff belongs to God, not you. That becomes offensive. He was offensive to the rich young man. It offended the rich young man that he had to give away all of his stuff before he could have eternal life. He didn't get it. Jesus' words can be incredibly offensive. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they looked at him, you're a madman. You're talking about cannibalism. Now they refused to listen to him. Jesus could say things, he could say things that would get you so riled up unless you hate your mother, sister, brother and your own life, you can't be my disciple. And, and, and he, could, he could offend you, but his words were true. He knew how to stir you up. He knew how to bring an offense. And when you get offended with Jesus, you're in a dangerous place. Rather than listening to what he says and listening to what the word of God says, you start to say, I don't care what Jesus says. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I will not have him to exercise authority over me. And people who walk around today who are offended at Jesus, offended at his gospel, offended at his word, start saying things like, that's what you believe, but that's not what I believe. You can have your ideas. That's what you believe when you go to church. But I don't believe that anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I'll do it my way. And that is a dangerous position to take because you're saying, I will not have the king exercise his authority over my life. But where are you? You think about your life and you think about where you're at. And the the king says to you, you know, this this is what I've told you. You know what the word of God says about this issue, this moral issue, this financial issue, whatever the issue is. You know what I say about this to you. And you say, I don't care what you say. I will not have you exercise your authority over my life. Ask yourself the question, are you saying that? Or are you saying, Jesus, I know this is really tough for me. I know everything inside of me wants to rebel, but I'm going to submit. I'm not going to rebel. I'm I'm going to submit to you. Is that what you're saying? Or are you fighting against it? Because the Bible says some will fight. And they'll send a delegation and they'll say with their mouths, we will not have Jesus exercise his authority over us. The reality is he was made king however and returned home that's the problem every one of us will die one day none of us will escape that none of us will escape the coming of the reaper who will take us home if Jesus comes back, we'll all go together if you're a believer. If he, if, we, if, if he doesn't come back and he tarries a little longer and we all all go the way of the flesh and all die one at a time in our own place, we will wake up on the other side and he will be king over us or we will be saying, you will not be my king. We say in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you saying that with your life? thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or you say, thy kingdom come, my will be done on earth. Not as you have done it in heaven, but as I want to do it, that's what I'll do. Is that what you're saying to God? you flicking your thumb at God and saying, I know what my mum and dad has told me. I know what you believe, Mark, but I don't care what you believe. I'll do what I want. That's the position of a person who says, the king will not rule over me. And if you have that position when you die, watch out. There are three kinds of people in this world. Those who hate God, who are cold towards God, who won't have anything to do with God. There are those who are lukewarm towards God. They don't really care. don't care. Oh, it's too much brain matter to think about it. I oh, know I feel a little bit conscious about it, but oh, if I write over it a couple of times, I, I don't feel any badness about it at all now. So I really don't care. I'm not going to stir myself up too much to think about it. In fact, I'll just put so much other stuff in my head so I don't have to think about it. I really don't care, Mark. So there's those who hate vehement against, you get some people who are atheistic and they're out to destroy everything that they know of Christ, everything that they know of Christendom and they're doing it with all of their strength and with all of their might, with all of their power they're trying to undermine everything that, that stands for God then there's those who in the Christian church who don't care alright, okay whatever, and they just let it rush over them, Jesus says I'll spew you out of my mouth got to care and then there's those who do care those who wake up and those who say you know what i want to make a difference in life and i want jesus to be my king and i want to bring his kingdom to power on earth i want to do everything i can do to bring the kingdom's power and influence into the life that i'm living now they're the ones who've received the gift from God. They're the ones who've taken the gift from God and say, how can I invest this gift that God has given me? How can I take my life that God has given me? And how can I invest it in such a way that at the end of my life, I have built something for God and I've invested in something for God. God has something to take to eternity. If you can't take the money with him, I've got lives with me. I led this one to the Lord. I shared my faith with this one. I made a difference in this man's life. I gave this one some cold water. I did that. I did something with the life that he gave me to do. I changed the circumstances because I recognize there's not my stuff. My life belongs to him and he deserves it all. So I will work for him all the days of my life. And that's what I'm going to do. And invest. That's how I'm going to invest it. And when he's made king, he comes back. And judgment day begins. But now we're looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back and we'll stand before him. Some of us will be like the first ones who came, Sir, you're a miner. Here's your money. It has earned 10 more. Whatever he did, he, he was able to multiply it 10 times. Now listen, I'm, it's not about being wealthy. The more money you have, the more righteous you are. This is not what it's about. If you think that's what it's about, you got it wrong. Because some of the most righteous people died with nothing. But they had changed the whole community of people's lives through their investment. They gave it all back into the kingdom of God. They gave it all for Jesus. John Wesley, how much did he have in his pocket when he died? Do you remember? Hardly anything. Some of them. Gave their shoes and they gave their clothing as they climbed onto the stake to be burnt alive. Gave what they had to the poor then gave their life. Whitcliffes did that. Interpreted the Bible into English so you could read it. Then got burnt at the stake because they did it. They got this idea that the stuff that they have, the gifts that they have received was not theirs. Everything belonged to God and all they wanted to do was invest it. And sometimes your investment can pay great dividends. Other times, Sir, I only got five. And his master said, You take charge of five cities. That's good. And one of the says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. He doesn't say successful. He says faithful. See, the question of our work for God is faithfulness. What's it going to take for you to stay doing what you're meant to be doing, even when everybody else is quitting? What's it going to take for you to stay committed and keep doing the things that you know you ought to be doing in God, even when everybody says, why didn't you stop and why didn't you keep on going in a different direction? What is it going to be for you to be faithful in the things that God has called you to do? Good and faithful servant. Not successful, but faithful. You know, this is uh, practice time, if you like. He says to the man who's got 10 and made, double, and made 10 lots on his, on his one, he said, take care of 10 cities. He says to the man who has five, you can, you can be ruler of five cities. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, this time now is a practice time for later. He's saying, what you learning now is going to kick in later on in eternity. And we're told in Revelation that we will rule and reign with him. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we design him, he will design us. We are being prepared for what is coming later. You think, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to sit on a cloud and play a harp and say, hallelujah, Jesus, till the, till the cows come home. Oh, I think you ought to get kind of boring in heaven sitting there, you know, hallelujah, Jesus, what do I say after that? You know, hallelujah, Jesus, again, for what, eternity? Are you crazy? Why would I want to believe that? I could say, well, it's worth all the hallelujahs for eternity. And when you see him face to face, you'll probably say, oh, all I want to do is say hallelujah. But you know, he said, it's not going to be that. He says, you will reign and you will rule over the earth. So he's preparing us Will work later You're on probation Turn to your friend and say You're on probation How you perform now Will determine how you will perform later And your opportunities later Oh uh, no You don't have to work for your salvation Because you're going to get there Because of his great grace But your job description is being worked out now. What you will do on the other side is being worked out now. How you perform now will directly determine how and the job you will get later. You say, well, I've never even thought of that, Mark. Well, you better start thinking about that because life is very temporal. It's over an 80. It's over an 80. But eternity goes for a long, long time and your training has begun already. You better switch your head off and start learning the lessons you need to learn because the lessons that you put into practice right now are making it good for you for later on. God has a plan for you. You might not think so because you've been led astray by the rubbish that comes from some mediocre principle that, that we're not meaningful in because we've just been created or, or evolved out of a slime fit. Shake that rubbish off. There's purpose in your... There's a reason why you breathe. There's a reason why God put his hand on There's a reason why you're sitting here today. And the reason is God has a plan for you. And if you just listen to what I say and hear what Jesus is saying to you and start getting for it, you can get into what Jesus has planned for you. Not just now. Later. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection The second death has no power over them, it says in Revelation 26. But they shall be priests and God and of Christ. They will reign with him for a thousand years. (laughs) Will you believe that? I believe that. When Jesus comes to rule and reign, friends, I am going to be there with him. What are you going to be doing? Whose stuff is it? another servant came and said, Sir, here is my miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. So what did he do? He dug a hole and he wrapped it up in a piece of cloth. He said, thank you for your miner. Just shove it in my little piece of cloth. Just zip it up like that. And I'll stick it in the hole in the ground, bury it over so no one can steal it. And I'll wait till he comes back again. (laughs) Why would you do that? I was afraid of you because you are a hard man you take out what you did not put in well that's not true because he gave him and he put something in before he took anything out and you reap where you did not sow see this man had a problem with his perception of God you will always have a problem with working for God if you have a problem with your perception of God You'll never be able to work for God effectively if you think God's mean and ugly and he's going to come and get you at any point in time. God is not mean and ugly. He is not going to come and get you. He is gracious and loving and he wants to make you strong and he's given you something he's given you a minor. He gave you a minor because he knew you can do something with it. If you put it in the ground, covered it with cloth and buried it, you had a wrong concept in your head. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, it says, if your eye is dark or dim or blind, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's the same word when he says, you wicked servant. The wicked is the same word if your eye is diseased. It's the same word. If you cannot see God's goodness because the devil has clouded your mind to make you think that God is... You didn't read the word? Why do we say to you, read the Bible? Come on, let's, let's read the Bible together. We'll answer the questions together. Let's confront the word of God. Let's get into the Bible. Why do we say that? Because we think you're all deadheads? Because everybody's telling you not to read? No, because in the word of God, you will discover something about God and his greatness. You'll discover something about God and his majesty. You'll discover something about God and his glory. And you'll discover about God's ways and and our ways and how they're different. And you'll discover life in his word. His word will give you life. And we ask, read it because you'll get life from it. And you say, oh, I don't want to. It's too hard for me to put my eyes on the page. It doesn't dance around like the movies. Friend, we tell you this because it helps you get truth. And in the getting of truth, the Bible says the truth will set you free. It will open your eyes and you will see clearly. And when you see clearly, you won't be thinking he's a mean old and I'm going to pour it in the ground. And here it is, scumbag, here it is. Here's the stuff you gave me. Take it back. I don't want it. You don't. His very words, I was afraid because you are a hard man, you take out what you did not put in. That's a lie straight away. Didn't he have a minor? The same as the first guy who made 10? Didn't he get the same amount? Didn't he have the same opportunities? Didn't he have the same giftings? But his attitude was different. His attitude was, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do my own stuff and I have an attitude towards you. Friends, if there's one thing that's going to kill you, it'll be your attitude towards God. It will kill you. So his master said this, I will judge you with your own words, because they weren't, they weren't God's words. He said, you wicked, that's that blind, wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I was a hard man and taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? And this is when he, it becomes so apparent that the man is a, is a fool. He says, why then did you not put my money on deposit in the bank? You don't have to do anything. You just give it to somebody else and they could work with it. Just put your hand in with somebody else. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to go and die in China. I'm not going to ask you to do something great and hard and meaningful. Just join your local church and support the ministry there. Just put your money in the bank. Oh, I couldn't even bother to do that. Wouldn't even bother to do that. Here's my life. Here's what you gave to me. Have it back. Here's my opportunities. Here's all my giftings. Here's the thing that you've you uniquely saved me for. Have it all back. Why don't you just join a church and get with somebody and support them and and get and join with your brothers and sisters and go towards the. Together with something, make an investment of your money with somebody else's money and invest it. And you know, even if it's not you doing something, why don't you get with somebody else and work with somebody else? He's a fool. He was a fool. All too hard. Don't ask me to commit to anybody else but myself. Well, it's my stuff. Why should I use anything that belongs to me in a church? Why should I support others' ministries? All I want to do is what I want to do. He said to those standing, take his minor and away and give it to the person who has ten. They said, oh, come on, that's not fair. He's got 10 already. Yeah, he knows what to do with one. He can make it 10. Give it to the guy who's got the, the 10. And he tells this word, and I want you to listen to it. He says, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as the, for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. Attitude. You think, why do some people get, and they just keep on getting, God keeps on blessing them. It's like, you know, it's like he's got a ministry, and he's always busy, and now there's somebody else has got more ministry, and then more ministry. More, when does it stop? This bloke, why hasn't God spread it around a bit? Because faithful and little is faithful and much. And the person who's got lots will get more. And if you're unfaithful and even a little bit, he'll take that away, and you'll get nothing more. And why isn't God using you? He said, well, why aren't you doing and using what God has already given you? Use that. Do that. Do it. And then God might open the door and give you another one. And then he says, and this is the scary bit, that those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Speaking about the last judgment. And they stand before the great white throne of God and we won't be there because we've stood before the beamer seat of Christ and we're already in heaven. They'll be there, resurrected in their immortal bodies to stand before God to give an account for what they did with the gift of their life. And they'll stand there and they'll say, I did it my way. And then he'll say to them, have it your way then. And then they will go to everlasting torment. Because that's what he promised. If you don't want to live with me, I'll make a place just for you. So you can think about the time that you had where you could have lived for me. And you can think about it for a long time. Friends, where are you? Whose stuff is it? Whose stuff is it? It's a big question. The next question I'm going to ask is, who's in control? So in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about who's in control of my love? Whose stuff is it and who's in control? And we're going to look at letting Jesus be of our lives amen let's stand up father we just thank you for this opportunity to come around your word we know that in your word there is life and there is liberty father how shall a young man keep his way clean by keeping it according to thy word father if we understand your word and we know your word father your word sets us free Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, Jesus. Lord, that the simple of mind, Father, come to your word and you'll give them understanding and clarity, Father. Your word is life, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we come to you right now and we thank you for the lessons that you teach us in your word, Father. And the answers to the big question, Father, of whose stuff is it? Lord, you have answered it clearly, that it's all yours. Everything is yours. We are yours. Everything that we have is yours, Father. And Lord, we say to you today, we're happy about that. Use us, Lord Jesus. Use all that we have. Use it for your glory, Lord Jesus. Make our lives count for you to bring your kingdom to pass in this place in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.